Hello everyone and welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today's episode is a rebroadcast of a lunch and learn that Rabbi Wilds gave on Facebook Live. The topic of discussion is, are you building the world or are you destroying it? We look at the contrasting concepts of acts of kindness versus slander. So without further ado, here's Rabbi Wilds. Okay, take a look at the source sheet here. Do nice guys finish last? Acts of kindness, obviously one of the most important things as far as Judaism is concerned. And it revolves around a very important pasuk in the Torah that I want to focus on. It's probably the most famous verse in the Bible, and that is, love thy neighbor. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Welcome, Adam. How are you, buddy? So the real question when it comes to this source and because a lot of these specific acts of kindness that we do in general, which is number three, which we'll get to in a few moments, really is based on this biblical adage, love your neighbor as yourself. And the obvious question is, is this possible? Can you love your neighbor as yourself? The Ramban, the great Nachmanides, writes, no. No, it's impossible to actually love your neighbor as much as you do yourself. What it rather means is that you should not allow envy for another, for their good fortune. You should not allow yourself to become envious for your fellow's good fortune because envy and jealousy ultimately result in hatred. So it's really a preventative. Love your neighbor as yourself means, according to the Ramban, that you should just not allow yourself to envy others. So just like you're happy for you when something good for you happens, you should also be happy for others when good things happy for, happen for them so you don't come to be envious of them. Um, yeah, Amy is pointing out, and I, I fluffed over this, that the Torah assumes you love yourself. Now I'm going to come back to that in a minute because it says love your neighbor as you, as you do yourself. And everyone here knows Psychology 101. You can't really be helpful to other people or love other people if you don't have a basic sense of self-esteem. And a lot of people who really struggle with relationships with other people, it's because they're struggling with their own sense of self or self-esteem and the like. The Ibn Ezra, another great Spanish commentator, uh, writes that love your neighbor as yourself means there should be no difference between what a person wants for himself and for the good that you wish for your friend because we're all created by the same God. It's similar to the Ramban, what I just mentioned before. But again, not taking it literally. Cheskuni and Sfarno, other two great rabbis say, it means placing yourself in your friend's position. Therefore, if thinking of a friend, let's say, who God forbid is ill, you should therefore say, if I myself were God forbid ill, what would I want? Well, I'd want maybe somebody to call me. I'd want him to send a gift over. I, I don't know, whatever it is that you would want, put yourself in their shoes and say, and do what you would want for you and do it for them. That's what love thy neighbor as yourself. Think of yourself in their shoes and act accordingly. And that's what a lot of the rabbis say. The Radvaz compares the entire Jewish community to the body of a single person. And he says, just like you would never think of deliberately injuring yourself, saying, oh, it's just my arm, it's not me. You would never do that. Your arm is part of who you are, so too every Jew must seek the welfare of all members of the Jewish people, that we're all different sort of limbs in the same organism. Love your neighbor as yourself. See your neighbor as an extension of yourself. But the Rambam, the great Maimonides wrote, 
we take it literally. All of these other commentators that just shared do not take it literally. According to the Rambam, it's a mitzvah to love all Jews as you love yourself. And therefore, you have to protect the person and property of a fellow Jew as if you were protecting your own self or your own property. Question is, how do you do that? How is that possible? And I remember a couple of weeks ago, this came up in our Parsha and Parsha Kedoshim, and I offered the following response. How can you love your neighbor as yourself? Is that really a realistic request? I want to say hello, shout out, my good friend David Zirkin. Rabbi Zirkin, the rabbi of RJC, is with us. I hope you and your family are well, David, Rabbi Zirkin. So I want to share with you an approach that I heard from one of my teachers, Rabbi Richard Mann, an amazing rabbi and teacher. And he says that the hint to answer this question, how you can read love thy neighbor literally, is found in the next two words after the phrase, love thy neighbor. What does the Torah say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Ani Hashem. I am God. And all the rabbis ask, why does the Torah have to say I am God afterwards? We already know who God is. We've been introduced to God many times. This is in the middle of the book of Leviticus, Sefer Vayikra. Why does Hashem have to say, by the way, I'm here, I'm God. And Rabbi Mann suggests that it is, that is, that it is going, I am God is referring to love thy neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, I am God. Why? What does one thing have to do with the next? Because ask yourself a very important question. When the Torah says love your neighbor as yourself, what part of yourself do you think the Torah refers to when it says love your neighbor? What you look like, the color of the shirt you're wearing. I love my shirt. Um, is it the way I comb my hair this morning? Is it how much money I have? Is it who my family is? Love your neighbor as yourself. What aspect of yourself does the Torah want us to love? Anybody know? What part of, the, of who we are does HaKadosh Baruch Hu, does God want us to love? And it's in the next word. Ani Hashem, I am God. Thank you, Amy, the soul, the part of you that is an expression of God. The neshama, the soul that is invested within each and every one of us, that is a reflection of God himself. That's the part of us. Thank you, Deborah, the godly part, the neshama, Joseph, good, you guys are all getting it. That's the part Hashem wants us to love. And if you can love that part of yourself, suggests Rabbi Man, then maybe that's how we can understand the Rambam, Maimonides, who takes this mitzvah literally. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're created B'Tselem Elohim in God's image, and your friend is created B'Tselem Elohim. So what really keeps us from loving other people? I think to some degree, it is the sense of difference, that I'm not really him. He's not an extension of me. But when you start considering the fact that we are all the product of the same creator, we were all created with the same divine image, that that should somehow bind us to each other and make us feel responsible one for the next. And not like, well, that's, that's him, that's nothing to do with me. What does it have to do with me? It has everything to do with you because you're both created by the same God. You're both invested with the Tzalem Elohim. And therefore, those differences that are there, we look different, we think differently, we might be of different religions and different faith groups. And even within the Jewish religion, Fine, we can, we can, obviously there's more that binds us with it if we're all Jews. But even if we're all Jews, there's so many things that keep us apart. Two Jews, three opinions. 
but there's a binding unifying force. When we talk about the oneness and the unity of God, it's actually reflected in all of us because we're all created by the same entity. And if we can learn to love the part of us that comes from God, that is a reflection of God, then that will help us, suggests Rabbi Man, to love others as well. Now, one qualification, ego, easing God out. That's interesting. I like that, Khani. I never heard that. Interesting. Thank you for sharing. One qualification of love thy neighbor, according to the Rajbam, who was Rashi's grandson, this mitzvah only applies to your neighbor if he's a good person. If he is evil, there's no mitzvah to love him. And um, because the Torah says, Yirat Hashem Sinat Ra, those who fear God will hate evil. And this is a very unique Jewish concept. A lot of people sort of fluff or throw Judaism together with Christianity. Christianity preaches love for everyone, irrespective, I'm just cleaning my glasses, irrespective if, if a person is wicked and evil. Judaism says that if you're wicked or evil, you can do tshuva and you can get better and then we, we, we will forgive you. But if you're unrepentant, unrepentant, excuse me, you don't repent, you don't do any better and you, you prevail in your wickedness and you continue to do this, there's no mitzvah to love such a person. Only a person who becomes worthy of that love and um, does tshuva if they've gone off, tshuva means repentance, or, um, if they've gone uh, on the wrong path. Uh, that's a very, very important qualifier. Now take a look at the third source on your handout, Specific Acts of Kindness. This is a quote from the Rambam, Maimonides' Laws of Mourning. I'd ask someone to read, this would usually I do in a class. So read along with me, okay? Uh, welcome, Tanya. It's a positive mitzvah of the rabbis to visit the sick, to bring comfort to the mourners, to help remove the dead from the home, to help bring the bride to her wedding, to accompany guests into your house, to participate in all aspects of burial, to casket, a burial, to carry the casket, walk in front of it, eulogize the dead, dig the grave, do the actual burial, bring joy to a bride and groom and to provide them with all their needs. These are the physical acts of kindness and there are no limits to what one must do to fulfill all these requirements. Even though all these commandments are from the sages, right? All these mitzvah we're mentioning of visiting the sick and bringing comfort to mourners and, and, and making happy a bride and groom, even though they're from the sages, they're all included in the commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. And these are actually mitzvot that have actually been somewhat compromised during the period of Corona. Visiting the sick, how many people were in the hospital with Corona that could not be visited? The only people who could visit them were their doctors. And this has been very painful for a lot of people. Attending the dead, comforting the mourner. Attending the dead, I mean, <laughs> there were so many funerals, unfortunately, that took place right here in New York City that we couldn't, we couldn't even have a minion attending to say the Kaddish. Maybe there was a minion, but they had to be spaced out and not other people could come. Uh, I've had friends who've lost parents and grandparents and, and to comfort the mourner, I couldn't come to their home while they were sitting shiva. We did it via Zoom. It actually worked out okay with, with some people just in terms of at least having that face-to-face, -face, uh, at least virtually, um, bringing joy to the bride and groom. Very, very difficult 
you know? I'm doing a wedding this Sunday, please God. I'm proud to say that I'm marrying, um, I'm marrying, I'm already happily married. I'll be officiating at the wedding of um, Noah Orlinger and, um, uh, and Natasha. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Natasha, I'm blanked. I literally just got off an hour and a half call with Noah and Natasha. And I have the honor of marrying them this, this coming Sunday, please God, but we will be doing it without a minion and it will be a very, very small party. And I'm so proud of them that they want to get married and do the wedding anyway and not push it off. But I will tell you that our acts of kindness, our ability to extend ourselves in terms of chesed has been compromised. We can't visit the sick and we can't attend to the dead like we normally do. And we can bring joy to the bride and groom, but we can only do it via Zoom. Hospitality to guests. I'm sitting right here in my dining room. And I wonder how many of you have been in this dining room at my Shabbos table. My wife and I, Jill and I, for over 20 years, we've had 20 people every Shabbos. And it's just our family. It's lovely just being with our family, killing each other a little, I think, driving each other a little crazy, but... But the hospitality of the guests that we so much love doing has been compromised. Um, so I think it's important to recognize that we just, we can't do all of them, but we can do whatever we can virtually. We can still pay shiva calls via Zoom, and we can still do weddings via Zoom. And I'll be there, but six feet away and um, with the masks on and less than a minion. So this is very, very important that we remember what it means to be a Jew and one of the sad aspects of Corona is that we have been compromised in terms of our doing our chesed. Um, thank you, David Schatz, for your kind remark. But I will say that each of these mitzvot are extraordinarily important for us to continue to do, even during this period of time. Number one, it's still a mitzvah. Loving your neighbor as yourself is still a commandment from the Torah. That's number one. And number two, chesed is even more necessary today than ever before. People feel alone, people feel isolated. And I don't just refer to older people. I'm referring to a lot of our own MGE participants who are cooped up in their little apartments, their one or bedrooms or, or uh, studio apartments in Manhattan somewhere and just got stuck here and their families are wherever. It has not been easy for a lot of people. And we're trying as much as we can to offer chesed, which is kindness. Kindness is the root of all of Judaism. The holiday of Shavuos is coming up soon. And we're going to be reading from the book of Ruth. And one of the reasons that we read from the book of Ruth is because it's a story, and I'm not going to get into the story now. We're going to have a class about it. It's a story about kindness. Now, what does kindness have to do with the giving of the Torah? That's what we're celebrating on Shavuot. Because the point of the Torah was to spread chesed. The psalmist King David wrote famously, Olam chesed yibaneh, the world was built on kindness. And Judaism was literally the first religion to introduce the idea that being good and decent to other people is a supreme value, more important than any, any other value in Judaism. Of course, you need boundaries, because if you're kind to the cruel, you'll end up being cruel to the kind. And there are all sorts of teachings and lessons in the Navi and the prophets on this. But it's a very, very fundamental to being Jewish. So fundamental that the Rambam Maimonides quotes the Talmud that says that if you find a Jew, and you can actually see this, 
on one of the other sources. I don't have this source sheet with you. The Rambam says that the Jewish people as a whole are characterized as a kind nation consisting of kind-hearted individuals. As the Talmud teaches, there are three characteristics that the Jewish people possess, merciful, modest, and performing deeds of kindness. And these qualifications are taken so seriously that the Rambam Maimonides declares that it is permissible, he says, to if somebody says that they're Jewish, you believe them. You don't have to start questioning to them. We have what's called a cheskat kashrut, a presumptiveness of being kosher, of being Jewish if a person has this tradition in their family. But if one sees two families constantly fighting with each other, or one family which is he calls ba'alat matzah umerivat tamid, someone who's increasing quarreling with everyone and is greatly arrogant. He says we become suspicious of them. Now what does it mean suspicious? I.e. we become suspicious as to whether or not they're actually Jewish. And he says it's worthy to distance yourself from them because these are the signs of invalidity. Similarly, anyone who is haughty or cruel or hates humanity does not perform acts of kindness, of loving kindness, we are gratefully suspicious that he says they are givoti descent. The givon, um, um, givon was a, a nation in the biblical times that actually converted into Judaism, but their lineage and their motivations were suspect because he says the signs of Israel, the holy nation, are modesty, mercy, and performing acts of loving kindness. And that's why if you can't visit someone physically and call them on the phone, and ask them how they're doing. Lots of people are still recovering from corona. Give them a call. How are you feeling today? God forbid someone has passed away. Everybody here knows somebody. God forbid lost a loved one. If it's not due to corona, then something else. Attending to the dead. I've always said, somebody once said this to me, that when the week of Shiva is over, that's often when it's so difficult for the mourner because they sometimes feel a little more alone they don't have the whole community sort of bombarding them. And bringing joy to the bride and groom, you can still send a gift. You can still call them up and say, I'm sorry, I can't physically attend the wedding now, but I just want to tell you how happy I am and I just sent something in the mail to you. Providing hospitality to guests, I don't know what to tell you. A very dear friend, I'm not gonna mention who it was, from MGE, knocked on my door when I first started and he went, he's always used to coming over. And I said, I can't have you in. I, couldn't, I can't invite you in. We've all been quarantined. So one of my kids gave him a seat. And he sat in our hallway. And this past Shabbos, he did the same thing. For about two and a half hours, he sat in our hallway. Jill gave him some lunch. And literally put it on the table, six feet outside of our apartment. And he sat and he ate. And one of my kids sat with him while he ate and just hung out with him, great guy. I'm not gonna mention who. I don't know how many people can really do that. You know, you could send over a meal to somebody else. Um, you know, we've, we've done that actually. We've had births during this period of time and we've sent meals over. It's one of the things that Jill organizes. And of course, kindness to widow, orphans, and strangers. People who are coming into the community from the outside who feel particularly vulnerable. Last, Last one is pursuing peace. What does it mean to pursue peace? Being a rodef shalom. Who was the biblical archetype of pursuing peace? That was Aaron, Moses' brother. What would Aaron do? 
So we have a tradition that Aaron would find two people in the community who were in a quarrel, they were in a fight, and he would go over to one person privately and say, you know, so-and-so really is upset, really is, um, uh, you, know, not, you know, not on good terms, but deep down, he or she really wants to reconcile. They just can't bring themselves to apologize or, 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 or to talk to you. And, and Aaron would go to the other person and tell him the same thing. It wasn't true. For peace, you can fudge a little. Aaron would literally go ahead and try to make peace between other people. And this is a good bridge to the second part of our class, which is because all of these things are the way we build each other up. But there's one simple way of taking down our fellow human being, and certainly our fellow Jew, and that is Lashon Hara. That is by saying something nasty, right? Aaron went around and said something positive from one person to the next to try to create a little more an opportunity for the two to reconcile, to come back together, and he was able to actually fix a lot of relationships. I wonder how many of us do that. Think about who out there, and you have to be very careful. You can make sometimes a bad situation worse. But if you think you can help two people who are in a fight reconcile, huge, huge mitzvah. And just know that the power of our words, oh my God, you know, we say in our prayers, Baruch Shamar Vayalam, blessed is God who spoke and the world came into being. We believe that God created the world with speech. That's what the Torah says. Let there be light. And God made light. Let there be the waters. And the waters came into existence. Let there be this. Why did God use speech to create the world? To teach us the fundamental lesson that the way we speak has the power to create. You know, so-and-so really thinks so highly of you. He really wants to reconcile. All of a sudden you can create a relationship where it had been broken, but you can do just the opposite, God forbid. You can say something negative about another person, or even not say something negative, and it could be true, but it discloses some kind of confidence. Did you hear so-and-so just bought this fancy new house, or just sold their apartment and made three million dollars? I don't know, whatever, right? It might be true, by the way, and it might not be negative information. It could be you know, just regular information. That's called in Hebrew, rechilut. Rechilut is the biblical phrase referring to the whole category of Lashon Arab, but it refers specifically to gossip. Information that isn't really other people's business, but it could be true, and it could be, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be negative information. There's nothing wrong with somebody, I don't know, I always use the example, putting a lot of money into fixing up a certain... Uh, I don't know, um, they, they, a person likes to collect cars. Did you hear so-and-so bought another car? It's true. And it's nothing wrong, you know? No one's saying this person doesn't give charity and only spends their money on the cars. But um, it's an issue because you're, you're just moving around information that creates envy, that creates distrust in the community. And it is something that the Torah forbids us from doing. Uh, Rabbi Karbach, I'm reading uh, a note from Chani, uh, rearranged the letters of Breshit into that God created the world with song. Oh, beautiful. That's definitely a Shlomo Karbach idea. Thank you, Chani. Beautiful. So this is a very, very important idea about how careful we need to be 
about sharing even things that seem harmless. What does it matter? Everybody knows this guy likes collecting cars. So I'm sharing that he bought another car. But it creates ill will. Now, obviously, saying something negative about a person, even if it's true, also is considered Lashon Hara. It is considered slandering the other person. Uh, now, a lot of us sort of, we justify that activity because, what do you mean? It's true. I'm only stating the obvious. Right. You see, that's one of the areas that's there's this distinction between halacha, Jewish law, and secular law. I remember studying this in law school, that uh, truth is a defense to defamation. Meaning, if you say something negative, or let's say a newspaper prints something negative about somebody else, and you get slapped with a defamation suit, all you have to do is prove that you have a credible source upon which you relied for that article. All you have to demonstrate is that I really believe it's true. And I had a basis to believe it's true. And then you can't be convicted of defamation. Um, in halacha, it doesn't matter. Because even if the information is true, it's still harmful. It still affects the other person detrimentally. And that's the difference between a, a, a secular legal system and the halachic system. Secular legal system is just trying to keep society functioning in a civil manner. So there isn't anarchy. Halacha is trying to do more. Halacha is not only trying to make sure that society functions, but Halacha is trying to refine us as people. And you can't be a refined person if you keep sharing negative things about other people, even if they're true. Because big people don't talk about small things. Big people talk about ideas. Big people talk about relevant concepts to help other people grow. And big people use language and the power of speech to build other people up, not, God forbid, take other people down. And of course, to make something up negative. That's the third and last category of Lashon Hara. There's Rechilat, which is just gossip, which could be, you know, nothing negative about the other person, and it could be true. Lashon Hara is negative, but it could be true. And then the last category is the worst, because it's not even true. You made something up to make somebody look bad. In Hebrew, that's called motzi shemra, giving someone literally a shemra, a bad name. And it's actionable. You can, you, if you prove someone else did this, you can receive damages in halacha, in, under Jewish law. Um, and obviously, destroying someone's reputation. You know, it could take a life to build a reputation, a good reputation. And in one fell swoop, one utterance of the lips we can take somebody down. It's so amazing how much harder it is to build each other up, how much chesed and kindness we have to do to make other people feel better and to, and to fix their whole, you know, to make another person whole. And how quickly and how easy it is to bring somebody down, to shut them down. It's an unbelievable power that we have. Sometimes we think that only people who are rich and famous have power. No, everybody has power. And the question is, how do we use it, of course? How do we use it? And Lashan Hara is, is so difficult to stay away from. It's so, you know, I think Chesed, we're comparing and contrasting Chesed kindness with Lashan Hara with, with um, negative language. 
And chesed feels good, but only once you start doing it. The idea of chesed is nice, but it's not attractive as much as, I think, speaking Lashon Har about another person. I think, I, I don't know if anyone is like lured to doing chesed. I think once you do chesed, you help the little old lady cross the street, not now. You, uh, you know, perform one of these acts of kindness that we spoke about today. Uh, hospitality to strangers, which we can't do now, and attending the dead and visiting the sick and bringing the joy to the bride and groom. They all sound nice, but they're not something that we are, by nature, in my opinion, attracted to. I think once we do them, we feel great about ourselves. It emboldens us to want to do more. Mitzvah, gererit mitzvah, one mitzvah wants you to, you know, eggs you want to do another mitzvah. But there's something about Lashon Har which is so attractive. What is so attractive about speaking ill? about our fellow human being. And I think it's something very, very simple. It makes us feel better. And it makes us feel better very quickly. It's an unbelievably alluring thing because one of the things that we as humans are hardwired to do is to feel good about ourselves. Freud wrote about this and post-Freudian psychology defense mechanisms, we need to maintain a certain level of sense of self, of self-esteem, right? Everyone has a different sort of threshold. Now, there are two ways, I think, you can feel good about yourself. One is the old-fashioned way, as what's-his-name used to say. I forgot his name. He used to sit in these chairs. He says, you can earn it. What was his name, guys? Jones, something Earl, something Jones. You can earn it. The other way of feeling good about yourself without having to earn it much faster and much quicker, and that is simply say something not nice about someone else and all of a sudden you feel a little better about yourself. No, not everyone. I'll include myself in that. I don't think I'm such a high-level person on that level, you know, in terms of the way I was created or my, my natural sense of disposition. I remember when I wouldn't do well on a test, get a 75 on a test, and like the guy, the kid next to you comes back with a 73. Oh, I'm good. Everything's great. Why? Why am I good? Because he did bad. And now I feel, I'm feeling a little better about my bad grade. Didn't up my grade. It's one thing if the, you know, remember the, when the teacher would take the test and curb it up. Oh, it was the best. It did better. I'm not doing any better. I still got the same lousy 75. But he got a 73. I'm feeling a little better. What does that demonstrate? That demonstrates James Earl Jones. Thank you, Amy. That demonstrates, uh, and Tom, that demonstrates that my sense of self is, is coming a little too much from how I'm doing in relation to other people. Because if my sense of self only came from who I am and what my potential is, my own relationship with Hashem, who only, who the only being who actually knows my potential, then it's not going to make me feel any better that he did bad. Now we just got two losers. Not only one guy who's bad at math, but two guys who are bad at math. How does that help me? How does that change anything in my life? Well, it does if my sense of self is, is relative, right? It's subjective in relation to others around me, but if horizontal, but if it's really about here, my relationship with God and, and God who, 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 who created me and understands what my potential is, it's not gonna do anything for me then that he didn't do well either. And therefore, when I speak ill about other people, it's not going to do anything. That's why the ultimate cure for this 
cure. I don't mean just dealing with the symptoms. Dealing with symptoms, you just try to be conscious and aware and just shut yourself down whenever you start hearing yourself saying something about someone else that's inappropriate or someone else is saying something. You pull yourself away. It takes two to tango. And the Rambam, Maimonides, writes that it's not only the person saying the Lushen Heart, it's the person listening to it that's also culpable because it takes two to tango. If you're not there, there's no one else to talk to. There's no Lushen Heart without the listener too. But the cure is that it doesn't do anything for you because the only thing that actually makes you feel better about yourself is when you are better, when you've improved yourself, when somehow you've elevated yourself in any sphere of life, religiously, spiritually, relationships, profession, I'm feeling better about the way I am, about my profession, because I'm actually accomplishing, I'm getting certain things done. Okay, I had a setback, Corona set me back, but I'm still, right, I'm positive, I'm gonna keep moving forward and I see a little progress. It's bringing out another aspect of my personality. That makes me feel good. That would be amazing if that's the only thing that made us feel good about our jobs. But we see other people got fired, other people got demoted, or they're um, you know, let go because of the corona situation, I should feel bad for them. I should help them get the job back or get them another job. To get to a point where we only feel good about things in life, when we've actually gotten better, that's a very, very high level. And that's something to think about how we can get, and that will be the ultimate preventative of Lashon Hara, because then it will do nothing for you. Speaking bad about other people, will simply not give you the rise that it once did. And you, you won't be, you know, and, that, and that's why it's a billion dollar industry in this country of how much schmutz there is in the social media world about other people. That's why we love, by the way, talking badly about other people who are famous. And we think it's okay because they're famous. They're putting themselves out to this. You're being famous means I can say nasty, negative things about you. Because after all, you're not a person anymore. You have no humanity. It's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. And we feel better because we hate famous people sometimes because they're so good looking, they're so excited, they're so, they've got everything I don't have. Hmm. I've, I've met a couple of pretty well-known people. They got their own pecola, as they say. Pecola is like their own bag to, to carry, their own difficulties in life. There's no such thing as any human being doesn't have their struggles their own struggles. But it doesn't matter. It's just the question as to why it's so enjoyable for us. And, and I include myself. This is very autobiographical. We can be very, by nature, competitive. But the ultimate goal is to feel good when other people are feeling good. Let's go back to the beginning of our discussion. I have no idea what time it is. If anybody would like to share with me what time it is right now, because um, we're going to bring this to a close. But just sort of reviewing. You have to loving your neighbor as yourself is the ultimate opposite of lo selech rachil ba'amecha, the prohibition of walking about as a talebearer. Because if we're looking to do good with others, then if we're not such a selfless person, we get 111, thank you, Adam we feel better about ourselves when we do something great for others. We know it builds us like nothing else can. And we've gotten to a point where saying something negative about someone else doesn't do anything for me. Now, what do you do till that point? Awareness. They say that awareness is half of therapy. Just being aware of how we naturally glide into negative things about other people. Now, there are exceptions to the rule. 
There are sometimes, um, oh, happy birthday, Amy. Um, I want to wish my daughter, Abigail, a happy birthday also. She turned 16 today. Crazy, my little one. Um, Amy should be till 120. Abigail should be, should be till 120. Thank you for the hearts. But um, there are exceptions to Lashon Hara. Um, if you're going into business with someone, you're about to do a deal, financial deal, uh, you see someone else and you were swindled by that person. You had first-hand experience. Only if it's first-hand, hearsay does not count, then you should share that information with the other person before they make a deal. Or you're supposed to also, of course, be honest and transparent when fixing people up. You should not say things that are not true just to get somebody to go out with somebody else. Uh, thank you, Amy. <laughs> I'll tell Abigail. Um... You know, it, it's, um, you should not, you know, make things up just to get two people together. That doesn't help. We need to actually be fully honest and transparent when it comes to business, when it comes to, you know, fixing people up. And there's some other exceptions as well. Um, but always ask a question to make sure that your situation fits into the exception so that you're not, you know, just, oh, this must be okay, this must be okay. Because the, the tendency is to justify um, and we want to justify because it makes us feel good. And it's okay. I'm not saying we're bad people. It makes me feel good when someone says something. makes me feel like, oh, I, I know that about myself. Um, but I think about it a lot. And I ask myself, why? And I try to fight against it. Why is it making me feel good? It should not make me, I should feel bad for that person. I'm going to, and, and fix it behaviorally. Because even if you feel that way emotionally, just get on the horn and say, I heard you lost your job. How can I help you network? to help you find a new position. How can I, I have a very dear friend, unfortunately lost uh, his position, and I've been calling around for him. And uh, you know, I'll tell you, just even trying to help makes you feel better and builds you, it builds you. And that's our job in this world. Our job in this world is to build other people up. And the only way of doing that perpetually, consistently, is by making yourself feel good. Love your neighbor as yourself. You build yourself up, you're gonna be a better person to other people, but only build yourself up in the right way, not in a cheap, quick way, by feeling better about you because someone else isn't doing great. You build yourself up by only feeling good when other people are doing better, you're gonna be a person of chesed, you're gonna be a very beloved individual in this world because everyone loves people who help other people, and who do it in a genuine fashion, not being trying to be captured on filled and getting another like, on film, getting another like on Facebook, even though it feels good, but doing it simply because it's the right thing to do, and it's gonna build me. One of the ways I get better is by helping others. And when I help others, it then comes back to me because now I'm, I'm in this cycle where I'm starting to only feel really good about things that are lifting me up positively, that are lifting other people up. And that's how we get closer and closer to Hashem. And so my blessing to each of us during this Corona time, when, as, I, when I, as I say, chesed is compromise, our ability to really be there for each other. Do what you can now. Pick up the phone. I've ended every day with this message. Don't let the day go by without calling someone else and see how they're doing. Perform an act of chesed and try to be conscious and aware of how we speak and what we say. 
because the power of world, words to create worlds, and God forbid to destroy it. And please God, in the zuchut of this, we should all continue to be built during this period of time as we build others. And we'll see you guys again um, tomorrow, lunch and learn. And also uh, at 12.30, I'll be back on talking about really, really interesting stuff about Lagba Omer. Please join with me. It's a very, very festive. I want to wish you all a Lagba Omer. Looking forward to shaving the scruff off tonight. And um, we're having a concert. Check all the emails. We've got um, all sorts of stuff going on. And I think I'm teaching tonight as well about relationships um, at Monday, on Monday night. Uh, you'll see that in the email going out. And just have a wonderful, wonderful, blessed day. Thank you all for participating and for all of your likes and hearts and thumbs up. Have a great, great day, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Wildscast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do, it helps others discover the show. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us today.